Let us declare God's word through our declaration this morning over this room and over these people. Lord, today by faith, we declare that we are walking in the manifestation season. As your faithful remnant, we will house your very presence. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and he has delivered us from all of our troubles and fears. We are no longer victims, but we are victors in Christ. We will not be deceived by the lies of the enemy, but we will give health, healing, and wholeness to the hopeless and those in despair. We will live under your anointing and see the revealed purpose of Christ in each of our lives. And we declare your everlasting word on earth as it is in heaven. God, we praise you this morning. We honor you this morning. Let us submit, God, to whatever you have for us. Let us not be afraid. Let us not be afraid, but let us trust you, Lord Jesus. Show up in such a way, God, in this room, in this place, in this community, that it's undeniable. Let your kingdom reign here at the palace of praise and let us not take and forsake the gathering let's not take this for granted that we are free and that we're able to do this every week as much as we so please let us not take you for granted God and your presence for granted and I pray God that people in this place you are in mad pursuit of and I pray God you melt hearts of stone today that your love that's pursuing them God would break through that heart God and they would submit to you in your way and they would know who they are in you we stand firm in you God when the world around us shakes we stand firm on you and we stand firm on your word in Jesus name amen Pastor's text this morning comes from John, the Gospel of John, chapter 3, 1 through 8. And as they get that up, and as you maybe turn there in your Bible, just want to remind you, you can give your tithe and offering as you leave today. And you know, the Lord doesn't need our money, but we need to give Him that 10%, because when, although salvation is free, it costs you everything. 
And God doesn't need our money, but he knows that we need to give it to him. So that shows full surrender and full worship that money doesn't have a hold on us, but we trust and believe that it is all his. It is all his, 100%. He just wants 10%. That's all he demands and asks of us. And I thank God because he has shown himself faithful to my family and to me and through so many others through our giving when it doesn't make any sense. It's a, a kingdom economy. And we just thank you that for those who give. John 3, 1 through 8, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born again when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which, that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto thee, Ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth. Thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Lord, I pray, God, that you be put on display through your word. I pray, God, that you give our pastor power and anointing Jesus and let him declare the word in freedom, power, and strength. If you are not in it, God, we're wasting our time, but I know that you are. And I pray your will be done today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. <clears throat> a wonderful congregation here today, a wonderful spirit in the spirit of everything that is going on. Would you just lift your hand for a moment and would you recognize the presence of God in this place? Not take him for granted here today. He's been with us. He's spoken to us. And we love him here. Father, we just want to take a second to lift our hands and to thank you for gracing us with your presence. Father, we are so unworthy to even mention your name, and your name is so holy that we don't have the right to even say it unless it wasn't for the, us being saved through Christ. And we thank you, Lord, today that you brought us in and that you have grafted us in, that you have cleansed us, and that we are part of the kingdom of God. To as many as received him, to him gave he power to become the sons of God. And I'm thankful that I'm one of those that you've redeemed. And I'm thankful that I'm able to share in the inheritance of my, your son, Jesus Christ, and that I have the promise of eternal life, and I'm your child here today. I give you praise. I give you honor. I give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, I want to share with you what the Lord has placed upon my heart. And if I've ever had a, if I've ever had a confirmation of it, the Lord has given it to me today. I've entitled the message "Unknown Deception." The message today is going to be one of the simplest messages that I've ever preached, and it's been designed that way. 
I've designed it that way because that's the way the Lord wanted me to keep it. That's the way the Lord has just directed me. That's the way that the Lord has instructed me to do. But too often in American culture, there comes a competition in churches and preachers to prove their spirituality by the depth of the word that they preach or their ability to unveil or to uncover the scripture. And people are always in search, you know, for a new word. They gravitate to things that they have never heard before, but they pay very little attention to the things that they've already heard and learned. They want to jump over here and hear a word, jump over here and hear a word. And wherever the newest word's at, that's what seems to be gathering crowds today in our culture. And even though the Apostle Paul told young Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.15 to study, to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, he told him to study the scriptures. As a matter of fact, Paul again said in the book of Hebrews 5 and 12, <coughs> he says, for it is time that you ought to be teachers, but you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracle of God, and to become such of need of milk and not of strong drink. Here the Apostle Paul is just saying how you should be teachers by now with all that you've been taught, with everything that's been preached to you and taught to you. You ought to be teachers, but you've not really paid attention to them. You've not really listened to them, and you not really have matured. And then we see in the book of John 5 and 39, Jesus said, Search the Scriptures, for in them you think that you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. Every single one of us in this building, we ought to want to learn, to study, to mature, to develop, to equip ourselves in spiritual matters. However, not at the expense of despising or rejecting or, leave, uh, or leaving the simplicity of the, of the Word of God. As a matter of fact, there's power in the simplicity of the Scripture. Can I have an amen? Some of the most powerful things is manifested and revealed through the most simple passages of the Word of God. As a matter of fact, the foundations of the Gospel is built upon the simplicity of the Scripture of John 3.16, which is the golden text of the Bible. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not a son of the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. There's nothing more simpler than that scripture, yet the whole gospel hinges on that. It is foundational to us as believers. If we uncover all the treasures of the scripture and miss John 14 and 6, then we have lost it all and we have nothing. It doesn't matter how great of depth that I can preach to you as a pastor or what I can pull out of the scriptures that you've never seen before. If we miss John 14 and 6, we've lost it all. Where Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no man cometh unto the Father except through me. Some of the things that we think is simple is actually very, very deep. For example, who could have ever fathomed the depth of God's love toward us and the cost of his gift in order to bring us salvation? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son for us. Can you say amen to that? This is why the apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 9 and 15, thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift. He said, when you really try to fathom the idea that God gave his son, you 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 can't even comprehend it. He said, it's the unspeakable gift of God. The NIV translates this way, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. The New Living Translation says, thank God for this gift, too wonderful for words. Good News Translation translates it like this, let us thank God for his priceless gift. The Amplified Bible says, now thanks be to God for his indescribable gift, which is precious beyond words. The English Standard says, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift, 
Look at the words that the different writers or the different translations use just to talk and describe to you about God's love. It's unspeakable. It's indescribable. It's inexpressible. It's unbelievable. It's priceless. It's beyond the ability to be even expressed within words. Though simple, yet powerful. Though simple, yet very, very deep. Man cannot even find the words to describe such love, and yet love is considered to be the simplicity of the gospel. It's what everything hinders. As Paul says, if we have not love, we have nothing. And matter of fact, can I tell you, this is why that John 15 and 13 says, no greater love than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. And if you think that's marvelous, that Jesus would come and lay down his life for his friends, listen to what Paul said in Romans 5, 6 and through 8. He puts a little twist to it. He says, for when we were without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet preadventure one would even dare to die for a good man. But God commended his love to us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Paul just said, you know, maybe I can understand someone dying for a righteous man. Maybe, maybe how, I don't understand it, but maybe someone even died for a good man. But God sent his son not to die for righteous people or good people. He sent his son to die for us who were sinners and vile and corrupt. How can even anybody phantom the love of God? How that God loved us while we were yet still in our sin. We cannot phantom it. We cannot comprehend it. It's so simple, but yet so deep. Undescribable, unbelievable, but yet obtainable. <laughs> oh, the Lord just spoke to me. He said, it's undescribable. It's unbelievable, but it's obtainable. Salvation is obtainable through Jesus Christ. Doesn't that blow your mind? Salvation is a free gift of God to all of us that want it. That's why that Romans 6 and 23 says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God. <laughs> it's eternal life. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You say, why are you so emotional? Because I had to be saved. And I'm one of those that he purchased. I'm one of those that he has redeemed. I'm one of those that he's cleansed. I'm one of those that he's forgiven. I'm one of those who he pulled out of the miry clay, brushed me off and put my feet up on a rock. He's one of those that established my goings. He's one of those that sealed me by his Holy Spirit. He's one of those that called me his son. He's one of those that said, you're forgiven. He's one of those that raised me out of death and gave me life. Oh, hallelujah. That's why I'm so emotional here today. Amen. Can you say amen? amen. Romans 10, 11 through 13 says, For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth in him should not be ashamed, for there is no difference between the Jew or the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I like what Ephesians 2 and 8 says, and we've got to be reminded as believers, for by grace are you saved through faith and not, not of yourself. It's the gift of God. It's a gift of God, a free gift of God, 1 John 1 and 9, if we'll confess our sin. He's faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What the Lord has laid up on my heart this morning doesn't maybe pertain to all of us here in this building. It has in times past, 
But to those of us believers, it may not pertain to us today, but it does to someone here today. God loves someone here so much today that he's designed this whole service and made this whole message all about them. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that the love of God? Do you remember when it was you that he designed that service for? Do you remember the night that God reached out into a congregation or wherever you were at, called your name and rung your bell and convicted you of your sin and you rose up and you came and you find salvation in Christ? I remember that love. I remember that night. I'll never forget that night as long as I live. I was talking to one of my ministerial friends the other day, a pastor of a very, very, very large church. He made a statement that the Lord had been dealing with me about, and I've been putting a sermon around it, and that his statement penetrated my heart, and the Lord began to say, okay, it's time to preach the message that I've placed upon your heart. The very words that he said was the very words that he placed in my heart. He said to me, one of the things that I have found out, he said, preaching all these years is that a lot of people hide in church, large churches. He actually creates multiple cam campuses for that very reason. He said that it helps force continuity with one another and it brings more exposure through relationship. He said as relationships are formed, it brings accountability to the hearts of individuals and the smaller the setting, the more exposure a person gets and the more accountability, they can't hide as good. And he said, when you get into a large congregation, people can hide. There are two different kinds of people that hide in church services. This is what the Lord laid in my heart. There are those that do it intentionally and those that do it unintentionally. There are those that know that they're doing it and there's those that don't even know that they're doing it. There are those that play the part of a hypocrite. That used to be more common in yesteryears than it is nowadays. It's those that claim to be a Christian and they're not and they choose not to be a Christian. They don't want to be a Christian. They have no interest in being a Christian. And then there are those that claim to be a Christian and they, but they, they think they are but they're not a Christian. The hypocrite is simply a person that plays the part, but it isn't. There isn't. But they're not genuine, and therefore they're classified as a deceiver. However, the one that thinks that they're a Christian and they're not is the person that has what I call unknown deception. The hypocrite chooses to see, be deceived, while the other ones don't even realize they're deceived, but they don't want to be deceived. The hypocrite knows right from wrong but chooses not to follow through with it. However, there are those that can be very sincere in their church attendance. They can enjoy church. They can love to come to church. They can even love the people in the church. They can be faithful in their worship and they can be faithful in their giving. They can have all the earmarks of a Christian and still not be saved. It's so easy for people to come into a church searching and they fall in love with the people and they fall in love with the church and the people fall in love with them. They love the atmosphere. They feel the presence of God. They feel acceptance for the very first time in their life. They feel a part of the family. They experience the love of the congregation. They enjoy the freedom that they feel. And for the very first time in their lives, they feel and experience life all the way around them. And for the first time in years, they find a place where they feel like they can belong, a place where they're loved, a place they can hang their hat and say, this is home. And I pray that we create that kind of an atmosphere. I pray that when sinners come in, they're loved and they feel the love, they feel life, they feel the spirit, the atmosphere is charged. Wasn't this morning wonderful? Wasn't the presence of God wonderful? If you couldn't feel that, then you were dead. 
But for the first time in years, these people can finally say, you know, I found a place I seem to fit in. This can happen so easily. And people even here where people can come in and we ask them all, for the, all of a sudden when we get to know them, are you a Christian? And upon their confession, we take them at their word if they say they are. And we begin to try to assimilate them in the body and we try to activate them in ministry as fast as we can because that's our job. When people come in and they make a part of the church, we ask them, we get to know them, and we say, are you a Christian? Yeah, I'm a Christian. The first thing we're going to try to do is accommodate them in their ministry and in their life and in their faith. We have our connect classes where we try to get to know them better, whether we try to get them to know the church and where, uh, the, uh, where they get to know us even better. We love on them. We care for them. We try to be the best church family that we possibly can for them. But what we fail to remember is that everyone confesses that they're saved aren't. Even though there's a small percentage maybe of hypocrites that want to deceive you openly and willingly, yet I find that there are a lot of people that confess to be a Christian, but they don't even really understand what it means to be a Christian. They think they are, but they really never have known what it meant to really become a Christian. They believe that they're Christians, but many of them have really never been saved. They come to the church and searching and, and search for change in their lives they fall in love with the people and the church and the services, the atmosphere, and the people love them back. So they turn over a new leaf. They come in and they make commitments to themselves and they change life patterns to accommodate those commitments and decisions. It's kind of like them trying to make a New Year's resolution. They kind of come in and say, man, I found my life. I found my place. I'm changing my life. And they accommodate uh, the, those decisions by making changes in their life. They start making good life decisions. They change the people they hang around, the places they go, the things they do. They make changes, but they really never have been born again, and they really never have been saved. And that is one of the most scariest places to be in, is being in a place of lostness and not know it. Hello. One thing that we need never to forget, we cannot save ourselves by just turning over a new leaf or making up our mind to be different. The Bible tells us in Titus 3 and 5, it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but it's according to his mercy. He saved us by the washing of regeneration and by the renewing of the Holy Spirit. It takes the work of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit for you and I to be saved, to come into contact with Christ. Ephesians 2 and 8 and 9, let me quote it again. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, lest any man can boast about it. If we can save ourselves, then Jesus died on the cross in vain. But Jesus died on the cross to pay our sin debt that you and I could not pay. There's nothing that we can do to earn or to purchase. Or we can't just turn over a, a, a new leaf. We can't just make up our mind. I'm going to be a Christian. There's more to it than that. This is why that Isaiah 64 and 6 says, but we are all as an unclean thing, and our righteousness is as filthy as rags. And we all do fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind has taken us away. Isaiah made it clear that at our best, we're still filthy as rags. Doing all that we know to do, being all that we want to be, trying to become everything that God wants us to do. We can't match up. Our righteousness is as filthy as rags in his sight. We are all born into sin as the result of Adam's transgression in the garden. We know how that Adam sinned and because the father of the human race sin, that sin's been passed down to all of us. Adam's sin was passed down to the human race through his bloodline. It's genetic. 
This is why that Romans 5, 12, and 19 says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered the world, and death by sin, so therefore death is passed upon all men, for all men have sinned. The Bible tells us that I am born as a sinner as a result of what my father Adam done in the garden. That through his bloodline, that bloodline was polluted. And when I was born as a baby, I was born as a tyrant. I was born separated, alienated from God because I was born as a sinner. By one man's sin, sin is passed upon all men. And then the Bible says, for by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. Talking about Adam. We were born into sin by them human genetics. Adam passed it down through his bloodline. And this is the reason that Jesus had to be born of a virgin and conceived by the Holy Spirit. This is one of the most important doctrines in the Christian faith. This is one of the most important doctrines within scriptures that Jesus is not born by the seed of man, but he was conceived by the Holy Ghost in the womb of Mary. Why is that? Because this meant he had no earthly father. Therefore, Jesus was born without sin. Can I have an amen? Jesus' bloodline was not polluted. Therefore, Jesus was the spotless, sinless, holy son of God. This is why that Peter said in 1 Peter 2.22, says, who did no sin? Neither was guile ever found in his mouth. Talking about our Savior, Jesus. And then I love what Hebrews chapter 7 verse 26 says. Such a high priest became us who is holy and harmless and undefiled and separate from sinners. He's made higher than the heavens. Jesus is holy. Jesus is righteous. That's why Isaiah said in 53 and 5, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace is upon him through his stripes we are healed. 1 Peter 3 and 18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sin, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Listen to Romans 5 and 19. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, talking about Adam's disobedience, but by the obedience of one many shall be made righteous. Talking about Jesus Christ being obedient to go to the death of the cross. When his flesh didn't want to, and he cried out, oh, my God, my God, if there's any way possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, aren't you thinking, well, he prayed that prayer. Nevertheless, not my will be done, but thine. And he put away, the, he, dis, he despised the shame. And he put away the mockery. And he put away all the hurt. And he made his mind up by sanctifying his will to the Father's will in the garden. And he endured the cross and looked for it with joy because he knew that it would bring many sons into salvation. And he went to the way of the cross for you and I. The truth of the gospel is simple. We cannot save ourselves. We need a savior. Jesus came and died in our place because our substitute became our substitute on the cross, paying our sin debt and purchasing eternal salvation for every single one of us here today. He was the only perfect, sinless, holy man that could be offered up as a sacrifice to appease the penalty of God and the penalty of sin. Matter of fact, 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19 says, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold and from the, and the vain conversations and traditions from your father, but you're redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ as a lamb, listen to this, without spot or without blemish. This is why Jesus Christ is the only Savior. He's the only begotten Son of God, which means the only one of his kind. He's the only one that could do it. He was the just, 
dying for the unjust. He was the holy, dying for the unholy. He was the pure, dying for the defiled. This is why that John 14 and 6, he said, hey guys, I am the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. There's no way to get to heaven. There's no way to get to the Father except through me. This is why that Paul said in 1 Timothy 1 and 15, this, this is a faithful saying. Say faithful saying. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all exception that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners in whom I'm chief, Paul said. Jesus himself said in Luke 19 and 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. This was the whole reason for him coming to earth is to save sinners, to save you and I. Can I present this truth to this congregation today that Jesus Christ is the only Savior of the world. There is no other. Now, would you worship him upon that truth? Jesus Christ is the only Savior of the world. Hallelujah. There was a rich young ruler that came to Jesus, and he had his theology wrong, and he comes to him. He said, Master, what do I got to do in order to inherit eternal life? That's our problem. It's always, what do I got to do? You can't do nothing. You can't earn it. You can't purchase it. You can't buy it. Come on. You got to submit to it. And he comes to Jesus and says, what do I got to do that I might obtain eternal life? And Jesus says, well, keep the commandments. Jesus tested him and Jesus knew by just keeping the commandments alone won't save you. And then he says, the young rich ruler asks a question, which commandments? And Jesus begins to tell him. He begins to list them. He begins to speak them. Then the young rich ruler said, well, man, I've kept these all from my youth. And Jesus says, there's one thing that you lack. Go and sell all that you have and give to the poor. Take up your cross and follow me. And the Bible says that he went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. Now, Jesus knew that keeping the commandments alone would not save him, but he set him up, and he knew what the man's reply would be. But then when he challenged him to make Jesus Lord, he backed off. Come on now. Here we see that it's possible to be conformed to religion without being transformed unto salvation. It's possible to be indoctrinated in Scripture and still not be saved. Salvation is more than just a change of behavior or keeping of morals or the changing of our minds. Salvation is cleansing and forgiveness and redemption through the blood of Jesus Christ. It's being regenerated by the Holy Spirit, body, soul, and spirit, being made new. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things become new. It's justification of life. It's just as if we've never sinned. It's a judicial act of God that looks down, pronounces us holy after we've been saved. Therefore, being justified by faith, we can have peace with God and uh, through our Lord Jesus Christ. We're not alienated. We're not at war with him. We're not at enmity with him because we don't no longer have a carnal mind. We're changed through the regeneration process of the Holy Spirit. Can I have an Amen. It's being sanctified, set apart, making Jesus not only Savior but Lord. And that's what this man missed. And can I tell you, you and I can miss it too. The young ruler was like my grandmother who was 80 years old. She had a standard in her life. 
She dressed very modestly. She didn't lie. She didn't cheat. She didn't drink. She didn't swear. My grandfather was an alcoholic. She couldn't stand it. She kept good morals. She was honest. She was hardworking. For 70 years, she lived in Arkansas, went to a little old, I think they called it a free will Baptist church there. She played the piano for years in the church. She was over the ladies' ministry. She was in charge of the food for the funerals. She sung in the choir. She was the go-to lady of the church. She's the one that everybody looked to as their leader. Her and my grandfather moved away from that little community in Arkansas to Dudley in 1969. Then I got saved in the 1980s and at the Church of God there, and she came to one of the services. And that one of the services that she came to, she gave her heart and life to Jesus Christ after hearing our pastor preach on, you must be born again. And I looked at her and I was shocked. And her statement to me was, and she said, I will never go back to that dead religion ever again. I have never heard that message in all of my life. She said, I have never felt what I feel here today. Tears are streaming down this little lady's face. 40 years of serving in that church, 80 years of life that she thought she was a Christian and she was never born again. How can that even be possible? She fit in, she loved the people, she worked, she sung, she worshiped, she gave in the church, gave her tithe, but she was never saved. There was a little a man by the name of Chester McCollum he was a, right at 100 years old when this process began. He was an old man that lived in a shack in Delhi. I've told the story before, and I'm not going to get into all of, the, all of it, but he was there, and, and I got saved. And to make a long story short, it, he was a hermit. He didn't trust anybody, didn't like anybody, wouldn't let you on his property. And it took me a long, long time, but I finally built a relationship with the old man, and Finally got to chopping his wood, and then I got to stacking his wood, and then I got to carrying it in. Finally, I was probably one of the very few people that's ever been in his house. And it was there one night on a cold, cold December, January night, snowing, and he's about to freeze to death. And the old potbelly stove that he lived in, it was beet red. And I looked at him, and I said, Chester, do you know the Lord? He said, I'm Methodist. I said, well, that's good. I said, but do you know the Lord? Well, I'm Methodist. I said, I'm not asking you what denomination you belong to. I said, do you know Jesus Christ? I'm Methodist. And I saw, I said, well, let me share something with you. I opened my Bible up to John chapter 3, verse 1 through 3, where Nicodemus came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Master, we know that thou art a teacher that come from God, because no man can do these miracles that thou doest unless God be with him. And Jesus said, verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And he says, well, how can a man be born again when he's old? Does he enter the second time in his mother's womb and be born? Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of the water and the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. For that which is flesh is flesh, and that which is spirit is spirit. Marvel not what I say to you, you must be born again. And I said, Chester, do you understand those scriptures? Do you understand what they mean? He said, no. So I started expounding about how to be born again, how to be saved. This old man had rode a horse all the way from Oregon to Dudley in the late 1800s and settled there and lived in that old shack all of his life. Poor, a peasant, very demonically oppressed, very uh, 
superstitious. He was a very superstitious man, and there was all kinds of spirits working in his life. And that night in that old dark house with an old coal lamp, he didn't have no electricity. I was at that table, and I began to explain the salvation of Jesus Christ to him. And all of a sudden, he looked up at me, and the room brightened up on its own. And I seen for the very first time the most beautiful blue eyes that I've ever seen in my life. They were the size of silver dollars that night. And I can remember looking into his face and I've never seen such beauty. And I said, Chester, do you want to be saved? He said, oh, yes. I have never heard that in all my life. And I led him through the sinner's prayer and he prayed it sincerely. And he wept and he held on to me. And the man was marvelously born again. Saved at the age of 100 years old. Right at, uh, he hadn't quite made it to 100 yet. And I thought, oh, who can fathom the grace of God? That God would keep a man for 99 years. So a teenager that just got saved with a little zeal would go build a relationship with him so that he could walk in and present the gospel to that man. He gets saved. He begins to trust our family. We got him out of the house, got him into an assisted living place. And when we first seen him, his eyes, you can't believe it. There's a thing over there that talks to you. And I see people. It was a television. He had never seen one in his life. He died right after that. And one of these days, when I sleep the sleep of death, I'm going to wake up, and I believe at that gate, them shiny blue eyes are going to be waiting on me. <laughs> We're going to have one of the greatest reunions that heaven can ever even think about. This morning, I'm not here to condemn you. God didn't send his son to condemn us. He sent his son to save us. A very simple ABC message. To be saved, all we got to do is admit, I'm a sinner. I've sinned. I've come short of the glory of God. The Bible says if a man says he has no sin, he's a liar and the truth ain't in him. We've all sinned. You've sinned. You've sinned. You've, we've all sinned. I've sinned. I've come short of the glory of God. I'm in need of a Savior. Then we got to believe. We got to believe that Jesus Christ is the only Savior. He's the only one. There is no other. And then we got to make a confession of two things. We got to confess our sin before Him, and then we got to confess Him as Lord. You know what Romans ten nine and ten says? The Romans ten nine and ten says that thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in the heart that God's raised Him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. We come to the place where we admit I'm a sinner, and then we repent of that sin. Luke thirteen and three says. Or 3 and 13 says, I tell you, nay, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. How many knows that the repentance is a gift of God? It's not something you can just do. It's a gift of God. God gives it to you. It's a, it's a drawing. You can't even come to God unless the Spirit draws you. And this morning, the Holy Spirit's drawing people. And there's some of you that's saved and God's drawing you and you wonder what that's. He just wants you to renew your faith. 
He's wanting us to be like young children. He wants us to be cleansed. He wants us to trust him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And this morning, I'd like for you to stand with me all over the building. This has been orchestrated of God this morning. It's a simple message. You know why? Because he wanted to make it so simple that even a first grader could understand it and be saved. He didn't want to make it hard to where you had to try to figure it out, to where you had to be a genius, to where you had to be smart, to where you had to be intellectual. No, 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 no. It's just the simplest thing. God so loved you who were in your sin that he sent his son to die for you so that you could be saved. And ever who calls on the name of the Lord, they can be saved and they can be born again. With every eye closed and every head bowed, this morning I plead with you. There are souls that's wrestling in the balance right now. It's not hard. It's simple. But you got to be willing to accept Jesus. It's not just, oh, well, I'm going to do better. I'll work it out later. No, no, today's the day of salvation. And what you got to do this morning in order to be saved is just step out of your pew and come down here and pray the prayer of repentance, and I'll lead you through it. I'll be there with you, or we'll have somebody there with you if there's a lot. And we'll help you become a Christian. You say, well, I don't know if I am a Christian. Then you got to know because this is a no-so religion. You don't have to wonder anymore after today. You can know. The redeem of the Lord says they're Christians. They know they're Christians. They testify that they're Christians. And this morning, I want to invite you if you're an unbeliever, if you're a sinner, if you're here this morning, the Spirit of God's prodding your heart and he's ministering to you today, would you just simply step out and become a part of the family of God in Jesus' name right now? Would you come? Hallelujah. Brother David, would you pray with him, please? Is there another one this morning? Is there another one this morning? I know there's more, but if this is the only one that comes, heaven's rejoicing right now. The angels are rejoicing over one sinner that comes to repentance. But there's many others. I feel that, please obey the Lord. I love you this morning. I battled this message because of its simplicity. But I just had to stop and pause in all of the series of rise up and take the city and all of that just to stop and to pause and to say there's sinners that need to be brought home. There's sinners that need to be saved. Give them an opportunity. And that's what I'm here doing today. Would you come and let us pray with you? I know there's others. Please come. I'm going to pray a little prayer. And as I pray this prayer, I pray that you make up your mind. And I'm going to give you that opportunity through this prayer time to come. Father, I want to first of all thank you for the night that I was drawn to an altar of prayer. How I came in laden with heavy burdens and you lifted them off of my life. I was cursed and broken. 
I was steeped in sin and bound, confused, lost, wavering, wondering, looking for something to satisfy and couldn't find anything from the alcohol to everything else in between. Lord, that night, you draw me to a church service. And that night in that pew, you spoke to my heart. Thank you for giving me the courage to obey and just step out. And there you saved my life. And I thank you. Now, God, do the same for every sinner in this building this morning. Let everyone that's being tugged by the Holy Ghost have the courage to step out and be a man and woman of faith and let them come and give their life to you fully. Let them be willing to pay the price that the rich young ruler was not willing to do. You told him a hard thing, go sell all that he has and give to the poor, take up the cross and follow him. All you're asking them to do is make a confession of their, of their repentance by just stepping out and coming and giving their life to you. And that's where they become a person that's yielded to your lordship. And I ask you, Lord, to do it. Please, Father, right now, Angels are warring over them. The church is interceding for them. They're struggling. Break the struggle. Give them the liberty. Help them to come, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Is there any others this morning? Before I close? Oh. Any others this morning? Well, will this congregation do something for me? We've had a couple come up. I don't know what all their needs were. We'll find that out later. But would you just give God praise the people we're ministered to here today? Hallelujah. I remember the night that Kent Miller's name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life. There's an old song that we sing sometimes. We even sing it around here every once in a while. There's a new name written down in glory, and it's mine. Hallelujah. I sing it in the shower. I sing. Oh, there's a new name written down in glory, and it's mine. How many's glad that your name's written down in the Lamb's Book of Life? Saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. The pastor of the Palace of Praise on 1400 Herschel Best Boulevard makes an open declaration on this very day that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He's the only Savior of the world. Exalt Him. Praise Him. Magnify Him for your salvation. Come on, you can do better than that. You're saved. You're saved. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Yes. Praise the name of the Lord.
see you tonight. We know that God's got great things in store for us all in Jesus' name.